Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The 1925 NFL football season, what an exciting and controversial time it was. Well, we have the story on our Football History Rewind, part number 57. Join us to find out what happened in 1925 in pro football. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And as we are going through year by year, season by season, football history in our football history rewind, we are at part number 57. And we're talking about the 1925 pro football season that year. A lot going on. Uh, but before we get to that story, just want to make sure that you know we have a daily email newsletter comes out telling you everything that's going on in Pigpen Sports, Pigskin Dispatch, uh, what's happening on the website, pigskindispatch.com, the podcast, Jersey Dispatch. Com and the Sports Jersey Dispatch podcast, as well as our audio drama, Orville Mulligan Sports Writer, and many items that are coming out on the SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, everything in your email inbox every day, 6.30 a.m., seven days a week, 365 a year. Catch up on your sports history. Now let's get into that football history from 1925. And the 1925 professional football story is a pretty interesting one. There was some deep interest of the National Football League brass to get franchises into some larger markets for means of survival and income for its participants and its franchises. Now, regions uh, with larger populations would mean larger takes at the gate as there should be more football fans to support the teams. So that was sort of the trend that was going on starting in 1925. With this in mind, five new franchises were awarded. Not all of them were big markets, but the first one, the New York Giants with Tim Mara and Billy Gibson as owners. Well, that's a pretty big market. Can't get any bigger than that in the United States. Uh, The Detroit Panthers with Jimmy Consul as its head, a uh, great player, player coach, uh, you know, good name to have there. Detroit, a pretty big city and growing at the time. Uh, the Pottsville Maroons uh, in the Philadelphia area, not too shabby of a thing there. They were probably the best uh, non-organized league team in professional football the year prior to that. So they were one of the best, they had some claims to being the best around and uh, probably felt they could beat most of the NFL teams, so they joined in there to see what they could do. Uh, the Providence Steamroller, another really good team. East Coast, pretty large metropolis there, good uh, city to be in. And a new version of the Canton Bulldogs 11. 
the returning franchises that year were the Akron Pros, Buffalo Bisons, Chicago Bears, Chicago Cardinals, Cleveland Bulldogs. We had two Bulldogs teams going on. Uh, the Columbus Tigers, Dayton Triangles, Duluth Kellys, Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, Green Bay Packers, Hammond Pros, Kansas City Cowboys, Milwaukee Badgers, Rochester Jeffersons, and the Rock Island Independents. Now, the league wanted a level playing field uh, a bit, too, as roster sizes were put in place for the very first time in NFL history. Each franchise that year, 1925, could have 16 players on their roster. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but remember, this is the era of single platoon football, small payrolls, and they were trying to level it out. So, uh, you know, people that had a, a lot of money, you know, maybe the, the Chicago Bears had, you know, a vast sum of money with George Hallis and the, the big market they were in, you know, playing against, you know, the Rochester Jeffersons and, uh, you know, some of the Rock Island independents that didn't have as big of a payroll. Try to make it a little bit fair. You can have 16 players on your roster, pay them. Now, the league, uh, of course, was uh, you know just uh, tremendous with that many teams and it was kind of well balanced especially with these new arrivals of possible and uh, you know some of their their rivals from before Frankfurt Yellow Jack is a natural rival and uh, you know Chicago Bears were always good and some of the other uh, teams that were really uh, always playing very well so far in the NFL uh, of course the big news items of the year were the Bears pulling some of a fast one and putting the University of Illinois star halfback Red Grange on the field less than a week after he played his last collegiate game, right around Thanksgiving time. Uh, I think they played, Illinois played on Thanksgiving Day, and that following Sunday, just a few days later, well, Red Grange was suited up for the Bears. But the Bears and Grange would famously go on their barnstorming tour near the end of the season and really gave professional football the shot in the arm it needed. Uh, you know, we talked about it in uh, some of our guests on uh, with the, you know, the Chicago Bears visiting the New York Giants with Red Grange drew a large crowd at the Polo Grounds and uh, really helped New York start to make money. It was the first time ever. They had 70,000 people in the stands and they made money for the year and they wouldn't have done it without Red Grange coming in there. So probably was really a, a good thing, even though it looked a little bit uh, malicious by George Hallis. Now more on that story in the episode of the Red Grange story with NFL Films' Chris Willis. We have a link to it in on Pigskin Dispatch. You can follow it there for this uh, you know, part number 57 of the Football History Rewind. Uh, the other story of 1925 season was, of course, the controversy of who was the true champion of the NFL for the season. Famously, the Pottsville Maroons had the best record in the league, which at that time would give them the crown of the NFL. However, they violated the territorial rights of the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets on game day by hosting a team of former Notre Dame stars in an exhibition contest near Philadelphia, while the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets were in Philadelphia having a game of their own. Kind of a conflict of interest. Frankfurt not happy about it. Joe Carr knew about it ahead of time. He was the NFL uh, president, commissioner at the time, and he warned, you know, uh, possible, don't do it. Don't go into Philadelphia. Play at your home field. Play somewhere else. Don't go- violate the territorial rights. You can still have your game, but don't violate that. Uh, he forewarned them not to do it, but yet they violated his request, and a title was stripped from the Maroons by Joe Carr and company and given to the Chicago Cardinals that year. More on that story on our previous post and podcast of the Pottsville Maroons. Also, we have a link there in this article of part number 57, Football History Rewind, on pigskindispatch.com. 
Well, that is pretty much it. You know, so the Chicago Cardinals are the champions in the, of the NFL. Red Grange is running strong. And we have some more controversy coming up for the 1926 season. But next time on part number 58, we will talk about the college season of 1926 and some of the new rules that were put in place for both the college and the pro game. So stay tuned for that. Glad you could join us for this little bit of football history. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you join us each and every day for some more great football and sports history in the pig pen. Till tomorrow, everybody, have a great gridiron day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.